Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Week six of At the Track with uh, Mac and uh, Mike McAdam, our Gazette colleague and horse racing writer. We'll discuss the previous week's results and look ahead to uh, week six in the Alabama coming up on Saturday. Plus, we'll talk about the possibility of the uh, Triple Crown being blown up by the Preakness, a potential move. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit and see how that's going to affect the uh, Triple Crown series. And then Greg Brownell, longtime sports writer, sports editor of the Post-Star up in Glens Falls, who just announced his uh, retirement, who's just re- actually retired on Sunday, will join me in to talk about his long-standing career and outstanding career at the Glens Falls uh, Post-Star. So we're going to talk with him about that. And later on at the close of the show, we'll have a tribute to uh, Robbie Robertson, a singer and uh, songwriter for the band who passed away uh, last week at the age of 80. So stick around here. Mike McGannon's up next. We'll talk horse racing and Saratoga Racetrack. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Matt Donato, Gene Kirshner, Jeff Carl, and Naira Betts. You will also get Mike McGadam's takes on the races. There are direct links to Naira Betts. You can find At the Track online at dailygazette.com slash category slash at the track. It's time for the Daily Gazette's 2023 Best of the Best Contest. Nominate 25 businesses by August 20th, and you could win $500. Nominate today. To nominate your favorite businesses, go to dailygazette.com and click on the 2023 Best of the Best Contest banner. Hi, this is RPI Men's Hockey Head Coach Dave Smith. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. It's time for week six of At the Track with Mac. Mike is that colleague, Mike Madden, joining me from the At the Track uh, studio. And Mike, uh, pretty interesting weekend. Uh, Carl Spackler, of course, you're Caddyshack fans. Uh, he was uh, like a cannonball in the National Racing, uh, National Museum of Racing Hall of Fame and uh, winning that race. Uh, how good was uh, Spackler? Well, he was very good, actually. Um, he won by two and a quarter lengths. Um, it was a little bit of redemption because I remember watching him on TV back in February when he uh, broke his maiden very impressively at Gulfstream Park. So there were high hopes for him on Kentucky Derby Day. Obviously not in the Kentucky Derby because he's a two-year-old. Or, I'm sorry, he is a three-year-old, but he's a turf, um, he's a turf horse. And uh, he ran the grade two American turf sprint at Churchill on Derby Day and finished eighth and really kind of bombed out. So uh, um, so they ran him back in the – you gave him a little bit of a break uh, several months and uh, got him back in this race up at Saratoga. And he got all of that one. Um, so that's my gratuitous uh, Carl Spackler quote for today. That's the only one I have lined up. Um, we have to be careful in our business not to overdo it with that stuff. Yeah. It's a little too easy. And and the origin of the name is just simply the fact that Bob Edwards of E-Racing um, just had a great sense of humor. He's a real personality in the game. He's a really good guy. Um you know, the more good horses he has, the, the better it is for the media because he's just a good talker, very willing interviewer, interview subject, and uh, willing to, you know, go out on a limb and, and name a horse Carl Spackler. If you if you do that, um, you know, probably the horse better be pretty good, or you're going to look a little on the clown side. Um, but Carl Spackler is very good. I don't know what they're going to do with him next, but he's clearly, you know, one of the best three year old. Uh, turf horses in the country yeah let's talk about some of the other races that took place uh, last weekend uh casa creed and annapolis renewed their rivalry in the four-star dave and a uh, trainer norm cassie had a uh, very promising two-year-old and rhyme schemes who dominated the saratoga special let's go with the uh four-star Dave first and it seems like casa creed has uh annapolis's number it, it kind of does you want to call it a rivalry um but 
there has to be like a back and forth of who wins for it to be a true rivalry. I will say that um, Annapolis was only three quarters of a length behind Casa Creed in the uh, four star Dave and, and only got beat a length in the Kelso earlier in the meet. Um, so one, but one of these days Annapolis is going to have to beat Casa Creed um, to kind of really define it as a true rivalry. Um, in the meantime, Casa Creed, uh, you know, off of those two straight grade one wins on the turf at Saratoga cracked the uh, NTRA top 10 poll this week. Um, and, you know, with any kind of luck, we'll see these two back in the Breeders' Cup mile uh, would be interesting. Um, just a note on Casa Creed, he's seven years old, and Bill Mott just raves about the fact that he seems like a four-year-old. He, he just loves his job, shows up every day. Um you know, he, he's not undefeatable, or, you know, he, you know, he's not invincible, but um, it's kind of a horse that a trainer loves to have in his barn because he just never seems to have any issues and just is so into his assignment that um, you don't really need to give him a lot of coaxing to, to work in the morning and, and show up on race day, which he does every time he shows up. He may not necessarily win, but, um, and he showed up in the four-star David. A little, little contrast in how those two races played out between the Kelso and the four-star David. Kelso, um, Casa Creed got the, the, the initial jump. Like they're, they're both sort of stalking types, and they stay behind the front runner a, a few lengths and then make their move. And Casa Creed, not only got the first jump on the pace setter in the Kelso, but Annapolis was kind of inside of him, so Annapolis had to wait to kind of make his move. And then, uh, so the, the Annapolis people vowed to, well, he was trained by Todd Plutcher, not to let that happen again, and they didn't. They they made the first run to the front, but in the meantime, Castle Creed got outside and, and just outclosed them to win by three-quarters of a length. So the, the two races played out kind of differently, but with the same end result and then you mentioned uh rhyme schemes uh really really impressive <clears throat> winner of the saratoga special last weekend um yeah, the interesting thing with this horse is um he uh he won by the same margin the, the last two races that he's run which you know may not seem that unusual except that the margin was nine and a half legs <laughs> so he yeah, pretty much obliterated the co competition in a maiden race at ellis park in kentucky on uh, june 15th and then did the same thing except this time it was in a grade three um stakes race at saratoga so they have high hopes for this horse uh, he went off at even money in in uh, saratoga special and it's grade two by the way not grade three um and just killed him by nine and there, it was like nobody else was in the race. Um, so uh, fortunately for Saratoga fans, a lot of times with these three legs of the graded stakes on dirt for two-year-olds, they're a little more conservative. And, you know, if they run in the first leg, which is, you know, opening weekend, they're reluctant, even if they win, to come back in the Saratoga special when you have the hopeful waiting on closing weekend. You can give them a little longer gap in their race schedule come back a little fresher um by the same token if you skip the opening weekend but you run in the saratoga special in the middle of the meet and win it you're disinclined to come back in the hopeful because it might you, you might want to give them a little more time and wait for the big two-year-old race at uh, Belmont Park. But in this case, Norm Cassie said, nah, we're coming back in the hopeful. So I, it'd be great to see this horse come back. Uh, we get two looks at a horse who, who should threaten for the two-year-old male uh, Eclipse Award at the end of the year if he keeps doing what he's doing right now. Yeah. Well, let's look ahead to this weekend, and it's Alabama uh, time. And uh, Wet Paint seems to be the favorite off her coaching club American Oaks win, and she's going to score up against a, a bunch of rivals who have yet to figure out how to beat her. Yeah, it's a weird division, the three-year-old uh, Phillies right now. I think if we were on the pot a few weeks ago, and I said pretty mischievous was the clear-cut leader of the division, unlike the, the three-year-old males. Or, well, I, you know what? I actually – I can't remember what I said. <laughs> All I know is what's going on right now. I'm trying to compare the three-year-old males to the three-year-old females, and Forte is clearly the three-year-old male division winner. But the three-year-old Philly division is up in the air, especially after recent developments and heading into the Alabama. I mentioned Pretty Mischievous already. She's not running in the Alabama. She just ran in the test of, the, obviously, the ill-fated uh, Maple Leaf Mel race last weekend. Um so she's coming back in distance. In, in the meantime, Wet Paint 
um, based on the fact that she won the coaching club American Oaks and she's coming back in the Alabama, um, she's kind of the one to beat in the division right now. And the ones that are probable for the for the Alabama, we, we won't get the um, actual draw for the race until Wednesday. Um, she she's clearly the best horse in this race. Um, she, she was fourth in the Kentucky Oaks. It, you know, this spring she had won three straight at Oklahoma Park, including two great threes. So she kind of was, the, you know, knocking on the door of being a division leader. And then she got beat by Pretty Mischievous in the Kentucky Oaks on May 5th uh, as the 7-5 favorite, at which point, you know, they kind of reversed standing in that division. And then she was second to Hoosier Philly uh, uh, in the Monomoy Girl at L. Dallas Park, this is wet paint. So she kind of didn't really drop off the radar necessarily, but she wasn't the top of the division. And then after she won the coaching club, American Oaks, by a neck over Sacred Wish, um, you know, she kind of kind of stepped into that um, standing um, and will be defending it in this race, the Alabama against, um, you know, the probables as of last weekend were Defining Purpose, Gambling Girl, and taxed, and who am I forgetting here? Um, oh, Cybertoff was a, a huge uh, underdog in this race. Um, but the other three I mentioned are, are, are pretty accomplished, other than the fact that they haven't figured out how to beat wet, wet paint yet. Um, taxed won the Black Eyed Susan, which is the second leg of, you know, the. it's not technically called a triple crown for the Phillies, but you know, it is the second leg um, for that kind of that series for the two, the three year old Phillies, um, and then she was the beaten favorite four to five and uh, finishing second in the Indiana Oaks. Um, two defining purpose, who I already mentioned, who's had an up and down season. First in the Grade One Ashland, uh, which is the big Keeneland, um, you know, comparable to the Bluegrass, the, you know, the penultimate um, race for graded stakes for uh, three year olds. Um, in this case, for Phillies, um, after she had, then she was seventh in the uh, Kentucky Oaks. So she didn't live up to her Ashland uh, um, form, and then, but then she came right back and won the Indiana Oaks by a length and a quarter over taxed. So, defining purpose uh, has had a little bit of an up and down season, and I, like I said already, uh, she hasn't beaten wet paint in any of the matchups. It, 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 which the same can be said for Gambling Girl, the, the fun story for New York people. She was bred in uh, Columbia County at Gallagher Stud, so she's a New York bred. Um, she hasn't won since September in seven starts, um, but she's usually in the money, and she's she's running five graded stakes since December, so she's not afraid. You know, her connections are not afraid to put her into uh, open company at all by any means. Uh, but she's got to win one of these one of these days. Um, which she hasn't done. Like I said, she hasn't won since September, but she's knocking on the door, at least placement-wise, in uh, a lot of graded stakes. And I already mentioned Sabra Tough as the big uh, long shot. Um, uh, <laughs> can't really say a lot about her. She, she was fourth in an allowance race at Saratoga on opening day. Um, yeah, she has a one and eight start, so she, she'll be a big long shot here. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I was meant to mention Hoosier Philly, who um, would have been pointed to this race, but she to the Alabama, but and she's really, really good. She was second in the Black Eyed Susan, and actually beat um, uh, Wet Paint in the Mon White Girl. Um, uh, she had a little bit of an issue, and she's going to be uh, running in a seven furlong um, Charlestown Oaks on. August 25th, which is the day before the Travers. So I don't know if that's a, a reflection of them cutting back in distance, but she did have a little bit of a minor physical issue that kept her out of this race. But she's one to keep an eye on in the three-year-old Philly division on the on the dirt moving forward. Mike McAdam joining us for his At the Track with Max segment. Uh, big news coming out of uh, Baltimore, the uh, which could really blow up the Triple Crown series. Uh, the company that... <laughs> like Carl Spackler on the, with the TNT on the Gorsewood yeah. uh, Country Club golf course. <laughs> the company... I have to, it had the same effect, but yes. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the company that runs the Preakness says apparently ready to move the second leg of the Triple Crown back two weeks on the schedule. And that series will no longer exist at the Triple Crown Series if Naira does not act in kind by moving the date of the Belmont Stakes. It seems like we're at a standstill here, and uh, the horse racing's uh, premier events 
could be going bye-bye. Well, it will if Naira doesn't make a move. I mean, it's not etched in stone that the 1ST um, people in Maryland, which is the name of the company that runs the, uh, the racing there and would therefore, by extension, runs the Preakness. Um, but the story leaked out last Wednesday that they were thinking about doing it, strongly considering this. And the reason being, and I 100% don't blame them, is because, the, you know, the Preakness becomes irrelevant if they don't get a good field three, uh, three weeks after the Kentucky Derby, which was the case this year because the only horse that came back and ran in the, in the, uh, in the Preakness out of the Kentucky Derby was the winner, Mage. Everybody else bailed. And now there was a uh, circumstance contributing to that, that being there were so many scratches in the lead-up to the Derby, which had like four also eligibles waiting in the wings to fill spots in, in case... Um, there was a hiccup on anybody who had qualified into the 20-horse field. Um, there were so many scratches that all the also eligibles made it into the field proper for the uh, Derby. And in fact, there was another scratch at Forte the morning of the race, which got the field down to 19. So if this doesn't happen, a bunch of those also eligibles would have come back, and they were good horses, would have come back and run in the Preakness, and it would have bolstered that field Um but really, the only horse that has any pressure to run in the Preakness out of the Derby is the winner because everybody wants to see the, a shot at a Triple Crown. It's like has so much attention and hype on it that that's sort of like the lifeblood of the sport to some degree. So Preakness people with their feel, you know, diminished by, uh, you know, nobody coming out of the Derby, none of the Derby horses coming back. Um, decided, you know what, hey, it's the, there's been rumblings about this for a long time. Hey, maybe it's time that we made a move. Um, you know, it's their bottom line calling because um, they, they need their race to be as, as important and, and, and uh, prestigious as it can possibly be to live up to the history of the race. And it ain't get, getting that done you know, under the current format. Um, you know, traditionalists like myself have have resisted the urge to to call for the 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 schedule format to change which is derby three weeks later Preakness, two weeks later belmont um but whether and i changed my mind after this year's preakness um but whether you like it or not it looks like it's going to happen because these preakness people are you know they're this is the most important date on their entire of their entire existence in any given calendar year and if it's a it's an inferior product in the field stinks then their their big one big shot isn't living up to what they need it to be so they're going to move it to four weeks after the derby which means if the belmont stays where it is it's going to be one week after the preakness which immediately makes the belmont irrelevant because nobody who runs in the derby and preakness is going to be able to run in the a week later in the Belmonts just not doesn't happen. Um, so the Belmont the New York Racing Association, whether they they would never admit this, but they pretty much have to move their race now. Um, and whether it's two weeks to, to conform with the, what the weakness did, or even three weeks, you know, I mean, pretty much doable. What gets hurt then is like the. You know, the races like the Jim Dandy and the Haskell, maybe if, you know, if there's horses that run in the Derby and the Belmont or the Derby and the Preakness, um, well, especially horses that run in the Derby and the Belmont, if it gets pushed back two or three weeks, suddenly, you know, that, that breather that, um, you know, these horses' connections like to give their three, their good three year olds that are on the Triple Crown trail no longer exists. Um, you know, after the, the, the triple crown is a grind, it's five weeks. And if you run into any two of them, it, it's, you know, it's, it's some intense action in a short period of time. And you need a little shot to recover for the stuff later in the summer and the fall, like the Travers, um, that kind of gets, you lose a little bit of that, um, might not affect the Travers so much, but it would affect like the Jim Dandy and, you know, you're just kind of pushing everything down there, kicking the can down the road. Um, 
So something's got to happen, or else the Belmont is just basically, I don't know who's going to run in the Belmont if all the good horses are running in the Derby, and then the Preakness gets a lot of them back four weeks later. None of them would run in the Belmont. I mean, maybe you would get still get some Derby to Belmont horses, but um, it's just... It, it, it disrupts the whole thing. And, you know, the three entities, Churchill Downs, Inc., 1ST Racing, which runs Preakness, and New York Racing Association runs the Belmont, they're, they're three separate entities that are all out for themselves first and foremost. And if their marquee event is compromised or diminished in any way, they have to look for ways to change that. Derby, Derby ain't moving anywhere, of course, for Saturday in May, and it's nestled perfectly on the calendar with all the der- big Derby preps the way they're set up right now. Um, so they're not, they're locked in. That's sort of like the the uh, anchor post. And then if Preakness makes a move, Belmont has to, you know, Naira has to make a move. I, mean, I don't know what it's going to be, but they got to be talking about it behind closed doors, and I'm going to be kind of asking around to see, you know, you guys going to pull the trigger or, you know, again, it's not finalized that the Preakness moves, but it sure sounds like they want to do it and need to do it in their eyes. So, um, uh, other, if, Belmont, if Preakness moves two weeks back and Belmont stays where it is, the triple crown ceases to exist. And, um, and again, there are, it's three separate interests with all, with their own separate, um, goals and objectives, uh, with their marquee event, but, um, you know, I don't know if you want to be looked on as the bad guy of killing the triple crown by being stubbornly sticking to your first Saturday in June, uh, their second Saturday in June, uh, Belmont date. So there, there's certain amount of pressure brought to bear here that, uh, that Naira, uh, probably didn't want to hear that, but now it's out there and, and they got to be considering that option. Yeah, also got to wonder, I me mean, with the TV contracts, NBC televises the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, and Fox has the uh, Belmont Stakes. I mean, if there's no Triple Crown, I mean, do they even bother televising these, give the the, 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 the dedication that they give to these races? If I'm broadcasting the Belmont and the schedule changes to four-week gap and one-week gap, man, like who's going to watch it? Nobody's going to be in the race, so who's going to want to watch it? Um, and it also affects. It, it's not to be forgotten, you know, each of these days, it's not just that race. It's not just the Derby. It's a bunch of other big graded stakes. So, like every division in racing, you, you know, the Derby's just three year old. Well, it, it's it's not restricted to male horses, but Phillies rarely run in it. Um, there's comparable races for, you know, we already mentioned the Kentucky Oaks, Black Eyed Susan, and the Acorn. Um, there's turf divisions that have big grade one stakes on these cards. These are usually like loaded cards, so it affects them too. It's easy to just focus on the Triple Crown races because I know that's what everybody pays attention to the most by far, but it affects um, pretty much all the good horses that are meant for these these undercard races that are really important, you know, Belmont Stakes Day is, is ridiculous. It's the gift that keeps on giving if you go down there and you want to get ready for Saratoga, Met Mile, you know, races like that, um, that Cody's Wish won this year. Um, so it really, there's so much other stuff on those dates. Now, if the Triple Crown changes, you're going to want to keep all those other races on your big tent event day. Um, but it doesn't necessarily affect them from a, from a racing gap standpoint. Um, but, it, you know, the, the way it works these days is if you have a big event like the Belmont or the, you know, the Derby or the Preakness, you're going to want to cluster a lot of other big races on that card because it generates a ton of handle. People get fired up to bet those big races. It's not like a cheap claiming race on Wednesday. Um, so that's kind of the way things work these days in it but the point is it affects a lot more horse than just the you know the three-year-olds that are on the triple crown trail could a compromise be worked out say look maybe let's not move it next year but let's say 2025 i don't think so because the you gotta understand the people that are triggering this whole thing 
you know, Maryland racing is in has been in dire straits for a long time, and the Preakness in particular, the Preakness needs to survive for basically Maryland racing to survive. So that's sort of their beating heart of their whole operation. So and if, if and if that suffers, then the whole thing suffers. So um, and from a compromise standpoint, pretty sure when the Preakness people made this call they didn't consult with naira or churchill downs again i had already mentioned that there's three separate entities with their own separate interests and there, there's no consultation going on there's no compromise going on everybody's kind of out for their own interests um you look at a, a this is just a silly example of that but when chris k was the ceo and president of naira you know he, he got this big idea he friend of his who's an artist is going to remake the triple crown trophy that they give out to the triple crown winner. And, uh, um, you know, he didn't ask Churchill Downs or, or the Preakness people if it's okay to change this trophy. The, the previous trophy was beautiful, had been around for a long time. And he, you know, he's just like, oh, I'm going to change this because I know this guy who can, I can give a job to. And, and so he just on his own changed the triple crown trophy. Um, so they, they, they're pretty much out for their own interests. And if somebody makes a move like the Maryland people did, Naira has to really, really closely examine how that affects the, the Belmont. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but they have to figure out how to, you know, counter counterpoint that. And um, really, the only way I see of doing it is move the Belmont back a couple weeks at least. Um, so, I'm two things are going to happen. Um, the schedule is going to change or the triple crown is going to die. That's pretty much the only two options we're looking at right now. Yep. Uh, Greg Brownell, a longtime sports writer, sports editor at the Post-Star, just uh, retired uh, a few days ago uh, after a 42-year career at the paper. Uh, you've been running in the same circles as Greg, either at the track or back in the American Hockey League days at the Adirondack Red Wings. What do you remember about Greg? Um, just a it, uh, the decency about him he, he, he was just like a good person but also you know from more from a professional standpoint just so devoted not only to his profession but to the his coverage area up in glens falls um you know i think that shows in in public ways like you know the awards they would win for the special section that they would put out you know leading into the you know new york state boys basketball tournament when it was up you know every year that it was up there um you could tell they put a lot of time and effort into that and that's a direct you know his influence i was plainly obvious there but then again i was reading pete toby's um column that he wrote where he quoted a lot of people who worked with greg over the years and it was consistent with the interaction that i would have with him where we would get email, emails or phone calls since, since we're, our coverage areas aren't considered competitive that much really at all between Glens Falls and Schenectady we would regularly exchange scores and Greg would be the person doing that I mean he could have given that to somebody else to, just to track down basketball scores on a Friday night and I think that shows you how devoted he was to his his job at a like kind of granular level um, you know you see the big award winning things that when they put out that beautiful section every year for the for the state basketball tournament but then again at the same time you know it, it's the little things that count too and he clearly demonstrated that for a long time and oh always a cordial uh good guy to talk to and and uh again just the decency and of knowing what the objective of his section was and and executing it um uh, so I guess that's kind of my impressions of uh, being around Greg for a long time. Well, next week will be Trevor's week, won't it? Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> I just got through last week and getting ready for this. This week isn't too bad because really the Alabama Lake Placid's a good race too. But, um, you know, the, the Alabama sort of the tent pole. And then, then we get into crazy town as soon as uh, pretty much Sunday. This Sunday will be um, – uh, the start of crazy down. The draw will be on Tuesday, so we'll know who's in the race, and uh, <clears throat> and then we'll take it from there. And and 
you know, Forte and Tappet Trice just worked for Todd Pletcher the other day. Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner, is going to be in there. Archangelo, um, the Belmont winner, has been on the grounds for a while now. He'll be in there. I'm not sure if Bob Baffert's going to send anything or if he does, who it'll be. But, I mean, he's still got a pretty deep stable of very good three-year-old Colts that he's sitting on. I, I don't believe the Preakness winner, National Treasure, will be coming here. Um but we'll see. I, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't send somebody out here. He's got a couple that have been waiting in the wings, kind of recover, like Cave Rock and, and horse like that. Um, so I, I would be more surprised if he didn't have one in than if he, than if he did. You know, right now, we don't really know who that would be. Well, Mike, appreciate it very much. We'll talk next week. All right. Thanks a million, Ken. Talk to you next week. Right, thanks, Mike. We got him coming up. As I mentioned earlier, Greg Brownell, longtime sports writer, sports editor of the Post Star up in Glens Falls, will join me to reflect on his career. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Tyler A. McNeil. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast and my next guest I've had the pleasure of knowing since 1988-89 uh, American Hockey League season when he was covering the Adirondack Red Wings and I was covering the Hershey Bears for the York Daily Record. Uh, he's had a great uh, career at the Post-Star, sports writer, sports editor, they've won numerous awards under his leadership and on Sunday he re- announced his retirement he, after 42 years at the newspaper. I'm pleased to welcome Greg Brownell to the uh, podcast. Greg, welcome and uh, happy retirement retirement well thank you ken it's, it's great to be here uh just looking back on I me mean, i was reading your column and the funny thing is you you, you were late for your interview and t- talk about that a little bit oh my gosh it was 1981 uh i i was a young stupid kid and i i was drove from Cortland, new york where i grew up and i thought i had a shortcut through the sakandaga and ended up just going up and down roads and hills there. Got an hour, got into Glens Falls an hour late. Remember, this is the day bef- days before the cell phone, so you could call and say, hey, I'm going to be late. And um, found the street packed with cars. The Troy Shirt Farm, the Troy Shirt Factory at that time actually had people making shirts. Um, uh, and the, the street was packed with uh, car of cars of people who worked there couldn't find a parking spot sort of wedged it in next to the railroad track uh looking back now probably hanging over the rails and so was really nervous about that throughout the interview came in the front door and they said oh, don't worry about it we'll we'll work around it so uh uh within a couple hours i was hired when you walked into that newsroom there, because you know, the managing editor at the time was Irv Dean, who also yeah. later worked here at the Gazette. Uh, unfortunately, he's in, in no longer with us. But uh, when you walked into that office, what, what was what was your, were you ner- nervous? And you look around, it's like, wow, this is a, this is a good place to be. Well, I remember thinking there were a lot of old people who could never understand my my generation, but of course that flipped over time, uh, uh, so that. When we get to the end, you know, we, there's all these young people who probably think, what's this old guy doing hanging around here? But anyway, it was sort of a cramped office, uh, smallish. It was it was a new building at the time. 
and um, you know, um, I I didn't. I was only there for a couple of hours. I talked to Irv Dean, uh, uh, the publisher at the time, uh, whose name escapes me, uh, Carl Davidson. And uh, strangely enough, back then you didn't talk to the sports writers. The, the decision was totally made by the managing editor. All I did was walk by the sports department and shake their hands. Um, so uh, and and. They, before the day ended, they, they said, uh, how'd you like to work here? And I said, yes, absolutely. And uh, that, the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, you were a, a political science major in, in college. I mean, what led you to be going, become a sports writer? Well, I always, when I was a kid, loved sports, uh, but I was the worst athlete you could ever imagine. The skinny, snot-nosed kid, uncoordinated, uh, was really no good at any sports, and that dream died very quickly, and I went on and decided, well, I'll have to do something else. Um, and I got to college. I was originally in elementary education, uh, and I was scared away from that because they told me there wouldn't be any jobs. Ha ha, that didn't turn out so quite the right, right way. Went into political science for reasons I, I really don't understand right now because I'm not uh, the least political person you'll ever meet. Uh, but about two years in, uh, in the bar downtown, the sports editor of Cardinal Points, the college newspaper, student newspaper, said, hey, there's a field hockey game tomorrow. Uh, do you think you could cover it for me? And I was like, I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm involved in this and that and the other thing. But, well, I guess we could eat it. And, uh, and I went to the field hockey game, wrote up the story, and... and saw it that later that week in the paper said you know this is great you know you write a story and you get to see it in the paper and, and I hear they pay people for this after you leave college so I very quickly got into the sports department there became sports editor of the college newspaper I spent my last semester at McGill in Montreal as a visiting student and uh, got into the newspaper there the McGill Daily and wrote the women's basketball team for them and uh, when I got out of college, I just started, you know, back in those days, you got on your typewriter and typed up a resume and cover letters and started shipping them out to um, half went to newspapers and half went to like state senators and state assembly people. And uh, the only polls came from newspapers. And I interviewed in Rome, New York, which was uh, an evening paper at the time for a uh, what was called the wire editor then I went up because I thought this this sounded very important being a wire editor I, I, I saw a capital E on the word editor in my mind actually this was the guy who came up in at 7 o'clock in the morning and pulled AP stories off the wire and got the pages started uh, probably the lowest person on the totem pole and uh, didn't get that job and uh, and you know this, this came up in August and I took the job and it's I've been happy ever since. Yeah, I was reading your, in your column there, your farewell column. You stated that you declined to join the uh, pension plan, which would have cost a measly 80 cents a month. because <laughs> There was no need because you thought you'd be at the New York Times in two years, three at the most. But I mean, as you kept you know, staying at the post, I mean, did you, did you get comfortable there? And uh, maybe the, the goal of, I mean, I mean, for me, I mean, I thought when I was working at the York Gallery, oh, I'm going to cover the Philadelphia Flyers one day for the Philadelphia Inquirer, my hometown paper. But I mean, yeah. things that have a way of uh, turning differently. And I mean, I've been at this paper uh, almost uh, 30 years and over 30 years, except for a 10 month hiatus that I had. Um, but as you got older there and got more responsibility, did you get more more comfortable there? Well, I, the, the key that kept me there was uh, there was always a new challenge. There was always something new coming along. Uh, I, I started out with high schools. Uh, I picked up the Glens Falls White Sox beat in 1983. And for, for a kid who grew up uh you know, loving baseball. I mean, this was a dream to be covering double A baseball at a small newspaper. I mean, um, which is very extraordinary to, to have a, a level of ball that high in a small town. And I stayed with that for nine years and then 
just as I was getting a little old on that, that team left, the sports editor changed, and I took over the hockey beat, um, the Adirondack Red Wings. And so, I mean, that was that was also, you know, unbelievably great to. I mean, we we went all in on hockey coverage. I mean, I drove to games in Binghamton, Springfield, Worcester, Syracuse. Um, and, you know, I, I did pretty much nothing but write about hockey for several years there. And, uh, you know, that, that was a, a, a good time and educational. And um, and then in 1989, Ken Tingley, who was my boss, moved up to managing editor. So I took over the sports editor position. And that's... That's I've been in for 24 years now, mm-hmm. and even that job has changed over time. As things, you know, I had a big department, then it would slim down. You had to find new ways to get uh, to get the same amount done with fewer people, and then video technology came in, and the internet, and you know, there, there were constantly new things that you were trying to figure out. And I, I like that part of the job, trying to figure things out, trying to find new ways to do things. So. Um, I, I think if, if it was just the same job, I would have been bored after 42 years. But I was never bored in this job. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the videos. I mean, I you know, I used to do videos uh, back when they were really emphasizing. I think they're trying to reemphasize the videos. But I mean, how much between that, the Internet, and the way games are reported now from coaches? I mean, back in, our, back in the old days, it was you took calls over the phone. Now it's emails and maybe a text or two but uh, i mean how has that changed in the way you uh, sport you've been able to cover sports well it's, it's it's just changed tremendously i mean we didn't have in 1981 we didn't have any kind of laptop or uh, electronic system outside of being in the office and working so if you were on the road you basically took a notepad and wrote out parts of your story and then picked up the phone and called back and dictated it. And sometimes you'd, if it was a late game, you had to sort of dictate it off the top of your head. I'd say that was the least like task that I ever had. Uh, I just I just felt like I could never come up with words that quickly. And then we went to the, the Tandys. Uh, you, you'll remember yeah. those, the Radio Shack yep. uh, computers that were these little teeny boxes that would only show you four lines at a at a time and to get the story in you you the phones back then were all had round receivers on them and you used these couplers and jammed them on and it would send this tone through the phone you stood there holding the phone for five minutes while the tone sent it back uh and then gradually the the laptops become more became more and more um uh more and more sophisticated and of course cell phones now i mean cell phones do an incredible amount of work for you um you can almost use your cell phone just to type a story and then put it in your pocket and go. Um, so um, it, it, it's, it's really amazing how it's changed over the years. Um, you know, in the, in the 80s, we used cut and paste to put the paper together. You sent out the story and it would come out in these what were called slicks of one column at a time and they would paste them on the page. And if you needed a correction, you'd write one sentence and they'd slid out that little sentence put it over the slick. It seems so antiquated right now, but uh, now you just do everything on the computer and hit the button and boom, it goes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the, the uh, slimmed down uh, departments, it's, it's happened everywhere in all the papers. How have you, how were you able to adjust that? I mean, it's obviously a lot more work involved, but how were you able to adjust to uh, having fewer people as the years went on? Well, it's just, I mean, the first thing that went were the well, frankly, we, we we had the luxury of a big staff, and we just didn't press that much on certain things. I don't think we realized at the time, but if there was a big game, uh, somebody would just cover that game that day. Um, I, I mean, we thought we were working hard, but uh, clearly you don't need eight hours to cover one game. You can do other stuff. And as the staff slimmed down, we just sort of found ways to do more during the, the day. You couldn't just do one thing. You had to do a couple of things or help out the desk or something while you were while you were doing something. And that became more and more prevalent. And then the, the bells and whistles kind of disappeared. Notebooks and extra things that you did, you just didn't have time for over the years. Uh, but the last couple of years when it's just been me and myself and Pete Toby, um, we kept up 
full service coverage of high school sports somehow and still covered almost all the Thunder home games, the Adirondack Thunder home games up here. Um, just through uh, smoke and mirrors, basically, you had to bring your laptop with you and flip it open and write a story and then go someplace else. And, uh, you know, it's just a song and a dance trying to get it all covered. Yeah. What about highlights for you as far as you've covered uh, the, the sports that you've covered? I mean, I can think back to you know, your first year covering the uh, Adirondack Red Wings. They came back from a 3 nothing deficit against the Hershey Bears in the South Division semifinal or South Division finals to beat the Bears four games to three on a goal by Adam Graves. Who he, I think he went on to a decent NHL career. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I would say so. Yeah, but uh, just talk about some of the highlights and some of the people you've covered, some of the teams you covered. What stands out for you? I remember the first year, 88-89, because obviously they won the Cup, and here you are, it's your first year on the beat, and this team is just winning all the time. And uh, but, but I also remembered it because I felt terribly behind. The other people covering the team were Mike Kane of the Schenectady Gazette, who, of your paper, who had been covering it from the beginning of the team, uh, Buzz Gray of the Albany Times Union, and I don't remember who was there from the Saratoga. Well, I was Bob Dittmeyer, probably. Prob probably Bob Dittmeyer. And I, I was just, you know, everything was brand new to me. I just felt like I was behind everybody in terms of trying to catch up. And, um, you know, I got beaten on some stories. And that's always frustrating. Um, over time, I, you know, as as the other writers changed, I, I feel like I was able to to do a better job. And I remember that year because I felt like I was just every morning I would get up and say, oh my gosh, I hope they didn't beat me on this story or whatever. Um, but I also remember the early years because it was so informal with the media. I mean, you could sit around in the office talking to Bill Deneen or Barry Melrose uh, or Newell Brown and just sit there and talk hockey with them for 10, 15, 20 minutes without even doing a story. And you could learn so much from those people. That's a relationship that younger writers today don't really have. It's more of a, a, a press conference kind of thing where you're they're on one side of the wall and you're on the other. And I think it's a, I think it's a big loss, not only for us, but for the teams because it sort of creates a confrontational kind of, of atmosphere. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just feel like I was so lucky to be able to listen to Bill Dineen talk about hockey and stories, and Gordie Howe and the way things were played back then. And, uh, you know, you just learn so much. Uh, I wish now that I'd written down a lot more of that. Um, who knows, it might be useful these days to write a book or something. But what about some of the some of the athletes? I mean, Joe Girard, I think, has to stand out, too, as one of the great athletes of uh, and Glens Falls. Yeah, Joe and Jimmer. I mean, at the time, I didn't write a lot about him because I was mostly the sports editor in the office. And I, and I always wanted my writers to do the big stuff. And, and Jimmer and Joe Girard were the big stuff. And so I would have them do the stories. But, I mean, I was around it. I mean, I was at some of the games. Um, you know, it was it – was, uh, we knew that they were big phenomena, not because – there were people at the game because the next day in the office you would get calls from people outside of Glens Falls saying, "How many points did he have last night? Um, what, what's what's going on with his college?" You get calls from people at Whitehall and Fort Anne. That's something that doesn't generally happen in high school. People are generally interested in their school or maybe their sport, uh, but but the Jimmer and Joe phenomena spread well out from Glens Falls to other commuters. There was something about those two players that other people were made them interested in them. Of course, Glens Falls also the home of the high school boys basketball championship. It's back there after a run in Binghamton. What was that like preparing to cover that every year? Uh, usually um, I made sure my migraine medications were up to date. Uh, and I had a full set of, you know, Tylenol and Advil in the office. Uh, it, it was a headache um, because we just we just felt this pressure of last year we did all this stuff, so this year we're going to have to do even more. And we had uh, remember we had the girls tournament running at the same time at Queensbury for quite a while, mm -hmm. yeah. and we co we covered. Uh, 
both tournaments wall to wall. We covered every game. We previewed every class. And uh, I, I'm not sure where we found the people to do all that, but, but we did. We, we put stringers in. We had former employees come back. Um, and it, a bit of it was hubris because we wanted to be known as the newspaper that could go out, cover an event. Uh, big time like this um, but yeah it was it was not a fun week for a sports editor I uh, I always scheduled vacation uh, the week after or within close proximity of that weekend yeah once that once it was all over it's more a sense of relief that it was done I guess oh yeah and, and you knew you had a couple of weeks before the spring season started up big time so uh, there was, was always a big relief on the Sunday of the, the state tournament yeah you mentioned a typewriter earlier I was getting in your column uh, re referring to that. the only thing left in the office left over from the old days is a typewriter which yeah, Ken Tingley ordered you to get rid of about 15 <laughs> years ago but you kept it and do you know where it is now uh, I do. You're not going to ask me where, are you? Um, well, actually, they... What's Ken going to do to you now? He's not working there anymore. He can't fire you. <laughs> well, I, actually, somebody back there knows now, so the, the secret is out. I mean, now that I'm gone from the office, the fun is gone. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I kept it and would... Uh, uh, pull it out late at night to type up uh, addresses on envelopes and stuff like that. Uh, because as Ken Tingley once told me, it's unprofessional not to type that envelope. But, so I, I'd like to hold that over his head. But but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just something about having that typewriter there, I, I felt like it was a connection to the past. And uh, it was just my thing to, to sort of quietly keep around the office there and not tell anybody until the end anyway. To be able to be able to be at one place for forty-two years. I mean, looking you back at it, I mean, how remarkable is it that you you lasted there at one, at one job for forty-two years? It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, with all the turnover that, that's been happening in newspapers and whatnot. But I think I was just very lucky with the timing to come in when I did, to come in just as our sports department started to grow, and then as things started to thin down. Um, you know, to, to be, have the seniority just to, to stay there and sort of uh, be protected a little bit. Um, I mean, timing is a big, big part of life. There's a lot better journalists than I who have been laid off or sent out the door, um, you know, because their time came and we the position was evaporated. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful, I guess, that I got the timing right. It wasn't anything I did. It was just coincidence, really. There's things in life you can't control that that hurt you, and there's things that life you can't control to help you, and this is something that helped me. And I know we've always had a good friendship, and we've been able to help each other out with scores and all that and stuff like that. So I, I appreciate that, your help over the years uh, with that. And uh, it's been an honor to know you since 1988. And I was working down in York, Pennsylvania, and uh, uh, I, hopefully you enjoy retirement. What, do you, what are your plans? I don't really have a solid plan. I'm going to do some traveling here. Uh, right now I'm just trying to figure out things like health care coverage and, you know, what what do I do with the 401k? I, I thought I could leave it there, but I'm told there could be fees. So now you're thinking about things like um, Roth IRAs and whatnot. So I'm going to have to I've done all the financial stuff myself here, but I, uh, I'm told that it might be smart to go get some help now that I'm older and maybe maybe gets into more uh, technical areas. I mean, it's pretty easy to just go to put money in your savings account or your, you know, your 401k. That doesn't take a lot of talent, but now I guess it takes a little bit of talent to to manage this stuff and and make it last a little bit. Uh, um, you know, with, with decisions coming on Medicare and all that stuff. So um, right now I'm just trying to sort of get settled. And the other thing I have to do is, I mean, I used company equipment for 42 years. And uh, I've got a laptop here, but it's this old rackety thing that, uh, you know, with uh, gerbils running around on a belt inside. I got to go figure out how to buy a new laptop and a workstation and stuff so that I can actually do something from home here instead of, uh, you know, play around with my cell phone and whatnot. Yeah. Well, Greg, appreciate a few minutes chatting about your career, a wonderful career, and uh, have fun and enjoy retirement. Well, thanks, Ken. Uh, I'll do the best I can, and I, it's uh, been fun being here talking with you.
right. Thank you, Greg. That's Greg Brownell. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest in just a moment. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's time for the Daily Gazette's 2023 Best of the Best Contest. Nominate 25 businesses by August 20th, and you could win $500. Nominate today. To nominate your favorite businesses, go to dailygazette.com and click on the 2023 Best of the Best Contest banner. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports reporter Will Springstead. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 24 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Ann Bombs of Schenectady with 40 points. Ann wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Ann. The VIP winner was Nick Platell of Grand Premier Tires with 10 points. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play... Go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam and Greg Brownell for coming on the show. Coming up in a couple of weeks, sportscaster Kenny Albert the voice of the NHL on TNT, as well as the Rangers on the radio, and along with calling the NFL and Major League Baseball for Fox Sports, will join me to discuss his new book, A Bike for All Seasons, My Three Decades Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics. I'm in the middle of uh, reading that book right now, and I tell you what, it's very good. I, I highly recommend it. I'm looking forward to uh, talking with Kenny about his book. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and I leave you with a tribute to Robbie Robertson singer and songwriter for The Band, one of the most influential musical groups of all time. Robertson passed away last week at the age of 80. The songs he helped write, such as Up on Cripple Creek, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, and the one I'm going to play to close out the show, The Wait, are classics. Rest in peace, Robbie. I saw